to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is a longtime listener who has learned to trust her abundance, Janine B. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Bridget will be back with us next week. We'll be missing her this week, of course, but uh, she's away for a good reason because she's celebrating her wedding anniversary. So it's an exciting day for Bridge. But uh, Janine and I will carry on. And uh, Janine, we have a, a, a guest anyway today. So it's, it's not like we're down to two. We've we got right. three as usual, right? Super um, cool, Becca. Yeah. But today we got Becca Ribbing join us. And, and Becca, I have to admit, when, when um, you first reached out to uh, be on the show, I, I didn't really know much about you. Uh, but like Janine was talking about before we got going, we've been reading up and you got some cool stuff going on. Very Thanks. cool stuff. So give, give us like a little background. How did all this get started? Oh, so I became a coach. Oh, I was really young. And when I became a coach, also coaching was kind of in its infancy. So basically what happened was I was doing that thing you do in your mid twenties where you're like, I went to college. Now I'm in the real world. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> Evidently I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, been there. Been there. Yeah. Kind of still and, there. No, right, right. Still, I, it's, a, it's a cycle. It's a, it's a life cycle. So I was really going back and forth about what I wanted to do next. Like what I had thought was going to be my dream really wasn't. And so in the process of me getting really clear on what I wanted to do, I was doing all the reading, you know, doing all the personal development, self-help book um, circuit. And I started helping all my friends. Like all my friends were at the same age at that same space and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. They were trying to figure out not just what to do, but also how to make that leap and mm. prove to people that they were worth taking a chance on. Yes. And so as I started helping them, I was like, Oh, this is great. I love doing this. And I started really help, like helping them and as right when coaching started becoming more and more popular. So I was like, I'm going to become a coach. And it's been really great. I love coaching, uh, but I also have a drive for writing. I love to articulate all of these thoughts through writing. I actually, for a long time, ran a website called Thank the Now. And that was a mindfulness, like a beginner's mindfulness meditation website mm -hmm. where I had 90 authors writing for me. Whoa. And wow. it was a labor of love. And I, again, thought I knew everything. <laughs> you didn't learn the first time. Oh, okay. I, you know what? We never learn. As you said, like we always, our head, our, our brain tells us we know things where mm -hmm. we don't. And then I had my second kid who had a lot of health issues when he was a little baby. He's wonderful and delightful, but it was just not the right time to be running something so big. And I let that go and just continued to focus on the coaching and got through that stage. And now I'm back to writing books and, and I don't think I will ever create another website where I'm managing that many people. But <laughs> so are you, enough. <laughs> are you wanting to transition out of coaching into writing? That's kind of the sense of, am I, is that wrong? Yeah, I love coaching mm -hmm. and it gives me really good information for what I want to work on writing about. So I am kind of in my own little mm. transition space, but I don't imagine I'll ever actually give up coaching because, mm. you know, 
it's it's life and light and things change so fast nowadays that mm-hmm. like if you're not actually in the thick of it then you're lo- you lose touch right i mean businesses do this all the time you see business after business like they make strategic decisions where it's like well, I want it to be still 1999 or I want it to be 2006. And it's just the world's almost changing too fast to be able to allow myself to take that much of a step back. But so this is my first book. I'm um, in the middle of writing my second book. Very good. Oh, so tell us about the first book. Yes, please. So the first book is called The Clarity Journal. And it is basically the book that I wrote for myself when I was in the middle of that struggle after my son start, like got over his health issues and I was trying to get back to myself because we do this, you know, something happens that gets us off track and it's really hard to go backwards and recognize what you've let go in the past. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we'll let more and more of ourselves go and we won't reevaluate. And so as we're trying to get clarity, I think that being able to ask like a lot of questions, like the broad questions to help you both find your strengths and who you really are, find your values, as well as really be able to dream and and expand upon what the future looks like. I think that when we're talking about clarity, a lot of times people are like, oh, I really want clarity about what I'm going to do. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking about like the rest of their life. Like, I want to know what I'm going to do. Like it's an end goal. Yeah. So it's the future, right? It's well, it's the future, but it's like all of the future. Mm -hmm. All at once, right? One great big package. Here we are. Right. I'm going to figure this out (laughs) and I'm never going to change. Right. Right. And that's not realistic because we're always growing and changing. That's like the core of who we are is like being able to grow and change and develop. And so I kind of wrote the the clarity journal to help people really move through that process a little bit less black and white, a little less like, okay, I need to have a massively brilliant right answer. And I'm going to just do this until I'm 70. And then I'm going to retire and live in the mm-hmm. Bahamas mm-hmm. And, or mm-hmm. Florida or wherever. And this is really like kind of you're helping you figure out what the next three to five years looks like. Like, okay. what is it that you mm-hmm. are missing right now? And what do you need to like help yourself move back into a better space for you to move forward? And presumably this was drawn out of your experience with your second child. I mean, cause you it was answered. actually, I was in the middle of trying to figure it out for myself. Like yeah. it, there felt, it felt like something was missing and that's always how it starts. It feels like something is missing. Mm-hmm. And so when it feels like something is missing, you start talking about it with your friends, like kind of noodling on it. I'm not sure what to do. And my friend stopped me and she was like, okay, Becca, you're a coach. What would you tell yourself? Physician, yeah. heal thyself. Physician, heal thyself. And I, I laughed and I internally was very mad at her. <laughs> we don't want to have to ask ourselves these questions. And so I went after we hung out and I hung up pretty quickly. <laughs> I went and I just wrote down prompt after prompt that I asked my clients. And as I was just looking at those prompts and starting to write them out, 
from my own perspective, I just started to realize how coaching is wonderful, but you don't actually need coaching if you're not that stuck. Like if you're, if you can be relatively self-aware, just having those questions can really start helping you gain more momentum and energy. And, and the thing I like about it is if you're writing it all down, then as when you find your momentum ebbs and flows, you have your why already written out and it helps bring it back. Like I know that everyone listening to this podcast has had some pretty major ebbs and flows over the last year and a half or two years. And that's just, I mean, it's been an especially challenging time for a lot of people in a lot of ways, but we always have those curveballs thrown at us. And the more that we can really know truly in ourselves, what our strengths are, what our purpose is, the more that if you get knocked off for a couple months because of an illness or because something, because life happened, the easier it is to get back to that center. Well, plus you also mentioned writing as being, a, and that's been a big part of your life in right. general, but writing in particular has it has therapeutic value, mm -hmm. but it, it also has internal connection value. So you were essentially doing something that you already loved, which made it really mm -hmm. easy, I'm sure, that enabled you to get the stuff out, to get to that clarity place because you were writing it. The writing actually helps create the clarity. Right. Well, and it also adds a layer of commitment that mm. just saying it out loud doesn't always. Sometimes saying it out loud can be extremely powerful. Sure. But sometimes when you say it out loud, you're still hesitating and you sometimes naturally hold yourself back. And hopefully if you're writing it out, you're able to see where you're holding yourself back and push through a little bit stronger. And even if you can't see it, just the act of, of writing it is going to bring some clarity on its own at some right. point along the way, just yep. because you're writing and you're expressing. I'm taking exactly. notes, by the way, speaking of writing. <laughs> Because it. this is really will help me with my journaling. So thank oh, you. I love that. I like the the clarity because I'm often when I do like lots of low thought activity, I will often put these um, you know these thoughts out there, and I and I and I discuss this stuff with myself, but I I have a harder time writing it down. Mm. And but I like that commitment mm. statement that you made because that that's really really powerful. Yeah. You know, because words are just lost when we, maybe when we say them, it, but the intention seems to be more there if we can write it down. So I got to write it down. Well, plus well, or summarize. I mean, yeah. it doesn't have to be the whole thing. If mm -hmm. you have like inspiration, just write down the inspiration. You know, you don't have to mm -hmm. necessarily go through the whole process in writing, but I mean, I think it's, you know, a lot of people talk about affirmations and writing out affirmations. I mean, there's just a whole lot of different ways in which, when you write, you could be committing to yourself. doesn't necessarily mean you are, <laughs> but we all know people who aren't. <laughs> but it's... Not to be judging, by the way. <laughs> not to be. I'm not judging. I really, like, wherever people are is really where they're at. And mm -hmm. I think that, I think a lot of times when we talk about any of this, any of this like personal development journey, it can become like who's more spiritual, <laughs> mm. who's, you know, more in touch and in tune. Um, 
Oh gosh. Well, my dad's probably never going to listen to this podcast. So like my dad, like once he's had a girl. He set up these stories on the show. It's amazing. <laughs> my dad had a girlfriend who used to every once in a while, like tell me about a relationship problem, like an argument they were having. And then she'd be like, and he needs to go talk to God because God told me this is the right answer. And like, it's like, okay. Sure. Why not? Like, yeah. So I am very much <laughs> not in the business of telling people where they are on their path. I am. Mm-hmm. I What I really love doing is helping people find their strengths. When I get a new client, I'll start hearing their stories. And as I get, you know, a co- just a couple sessions in, I will start pointing out strengths I am hearing from them. Mm-hmm. And I'll always say, you know, I hear, I've heard this, I've heard this. Like, are you really valuing this strength you have? And they almost always pause and look at me and they're just like, Kinda like, yeah, that comes easy to me. But the problem is, is they don't view it as a strength because it came easy. Yeah. And we've been so trained from our childhood on that. What we are really supposed to focus on is our weaknesses. Like when you are in school, how often, how often you're like, Oh, it's great. You got an A in math, but you really need to work on your writing. Yeah, of course. The goalposts always got set further back. You know, I was talking to a woman who has a very successful podcast and she laughed when I told her that story because she's like, yeah, what they told me all the time in class is I needed to stop talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really hard. I have, a, I have two kids, like, so I'm seeing this with them too. It's really hard to not do that compliment sandwich. You know, we learn if we're giving like feedback on someone's writing or like if we're giving managerial feedback to like do the compliment sandwich where you like a positive thing, a negative thing, and then another positive thing. Mm -hmm. And that we start doing it with ourselves. And, and then it feels like, oh, if I'm not working really hard, then it's not valuable, but really the things, Mm -hmm. there's something wrong. And the things that are the most valuable about you are the things that come easily to you. The things that Mm -hmm. energize you. That is what is going to speak to your boss or your clients or wherever you are on the like entrepreneur versus job spectrum. Like the things that come easy to you are the things that people want to pay you for because they come easy to you. It's not going to take you very long and you just, you get it and they don't have to train it. Right. And that is very true. What, um, I know it's always hard to generalize, but I'm going to ask a generalized question. Who, who, who's your typical client? The one that is the most common kind of client Good that question, comes to you? Well, <sighs> My most typical client is someone who really wants to make a shift and hasn't been able to give themselves permission to make that jump. And so much so that they really haven't articulated the jump they want to make that concretely. Uh, they're usually someone who wants to go from point A to point B all the way over somewhere else. And they need to know they're not crazy. Like they need to know that they've really thought it through and that they've, they've planned it out in a way that they're not going to regret later on. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's really natural. And I think that's one of the reasons why we end up talking to our friends. Mm -hmm. But the problem is is we talk to our friends and our family about a big jump that we want to make. 
And if your friends and family aren't in that space, a lot of times they're negative. They want you to be safe. Like they don't feel like they can give you permission to do it because then you blame them. And which is really weird, but that's understandable. But it's understandable. And I mean, I even sometimes catch myself doing it, you know, with my, with my friends. That's why I often, I don't even, I, I'll have this idea and, and I used to just, you know, call up my friend and tell her right away. And it's like, no, you know, I think I'm going to sit on it for a while because I, I, I don't want to hear someone's knee jerk negative or mm. I, I really don't want to hear their opinions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Until I'm ready. Right. Until I'm right. like, okay. And then I'm ready to have something bounce to bounce off of someone else. But it's, it's, it's like my thing. And I don't want to be talk, tried to talk out of if that. Makes mm. sense. Right. It does. Well, it totally makes sense. And a lot of times where people are really stuck is that they just, because they're afraid of it, they have, they, they kind of explored around the edges, but they don't really dive right. into figuring out what it is they need to do, what, if they need mm. training. Like they never take the first steps. Um, it's, and it's, it's like almost, we're afraid of our own ideas, really. Right. Well, and it's like, it's precious. Like mm. we want to like hold it and like, and like maybe like think about it and pet it. But as soon as we actually start doing it, inevitably we're going to run into starting friction. Like you're mm-hmm. trying to do something completely new. It's not going to be easy. Like I know like the more positive you are, the better it'll go. But anytime you're learning something new, you are actually creating new synapses in your brain. You certainly <laughs> it's, are. It's, it's it, it. You're going to run into times you want to quit, you know? Sure. And so I think that I really help people figure out, is this a reasonable thing? What would the, what does the process look like? Where are we, where do you really want to end up? Because that's also the other thing, like, it, you know, is this the right thing? Well, it's certainly the right thing for right now. But where is this leading in three to five years? Where is this leading in 20 years? Because this thing, what are your steps here? What is the path you want to be on? What does it look like if you decide it is bad and you want to go back? Like, how do you keep some of, keep some of your options open? And there's a lot that goes into making those big leaps. And I think that the more support you can have, the better you'll be able to manage it and it's really hard. I'm very blessed. Like I have the friend who is like, Becca, you're a coach. What would you tell yourself? You know, that like the being able to like say the hard questions, but most of us don't have family and friends that are like that. And most of us mm-hmm. really just want so much to feel like we are doing the right thing. Well, we don't really have confidence in our new idea because it's right. new. We haven't played with it enough. We haven't had any direct experience or very little direct experience with how it's going to play out yet. And right. so it's like when anything else is learned, it, we learn it slowly over time. We, we absorb it and become confident with it in stages. So, yeah, of course, very early, you're not going to feel any confidence at all. And it's going to be pretty easy to talk you out of it. That's where yeah. a coach is very valuable. If the idea is worthy, by all means, you need to kind of drill it in. Right. Yeah, that's really big yeah. stuff. So that's cool. I like the I like the way your uh, career path is progressing. Um, Thank you. I'm curious to know. It, I mean, you you were talking earlier about the um, 
I can't remember what you called it, but basically you, you have this uh, group of people who are focusing on now, teaching people how to stay in the now. I'm curious how that is either currently or in the future molding that, into what you're talking about. That was the website I ran in the past. Mm-hmm. I do really bring a lot of mindfulness into what I, my everyday work because I really believe that when we talk about mindfulness, when we talk about meditation in the U.S. or in Western societies, a lot of times we're so focused on the end goal that we miss the biggest step of all. And so when we are learning to meditate, the end goal of meditation is to be able to let go of all of our thoughts, right? And so that is how you get your gold star. However, (laughs) (laughs) mindfulness and meditation, what you're supposed to be doing is noticing everything that's going on, being able to actually non-judgmentally see it and then let it pass, not necessarily willpower it to be gone, but just the idea of non-judgmentally seeing it allows it to lessen. And I think that... I mean, this just goes into our self-talk and like our belief systems, because when you're trying to be positive, when you're trying to, or when you're trying to do something new, when you're trying to do any of this stuff, there's going to be this chatter and there's going to be the naysayer. There's going to be a lot of different types of chatter. So there'll be the naysayer. There'll be the, you're not good enough. There's also going to be the, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. No, you're sure. not like, there's, so there's a lot of different voices and being able to hear those voices and not judge them, not jump in and feel like you have to fix them. When I was taking a, very basic first aid class. I, I, I love hiking. And so I was doing a hike leader class where they taught us kind of the basics of how not to kill people on hikes. That's <laughs> and, a good um, skill. I like that it's one. It's a yeah. good skill. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it also seems kind of basic, but like, you just well, walk. Hence but, the basic class. Right. It's the basic <laughs> class. So one of the things, uh, they brought in a woman who was a... EMT and she also did like search and rescue on the, in the mountains and stuff. And the first thing she taught us was, you know, when you are going into an emergency situation, you need to stop and evaluate everything that's going on because hmm. you might think it's one thing and then find out the person on the ground was mauled by a bear and you're mm-hmm. running right into the path mm-hmm. or I mean, she had a couple different scenarios or if like you're in a, if you're in an urban environment, maybe the person on the ground was electrocuted. Like there was an electrified panel under them and sure. you've just stepped on it too. And now you're not saving them either. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think that a lot of when we're trying to make decisions in life, we need to be able to do that as well. Like be able to stop, recognize any of the negative self-talk, any of the doubt and be able to like stop and really notice it, like mm-hmm. not judge it. Like really like be able to look at it like a third party would like, oh, okay. So that belief came from my mom and I don't really need to hold on to it. It's not serving me. Mm. And the more that you can take that pause, take that beat and notice it non-judgmentally and then move forward. Among other things, what? 
what, what you're really doing is slowing the scene down. You're slowing the scene down. You're slowing exactly. time down. Yeah. Well, and we all feel like we have to react right away, right away. Mm-hmm. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of uh, one night, I don't know, a couple of years ago, We the fire alarm went off and just just in the middle of the night. And and me, I've always been like, don't think, just act. And so here I am running down the hallway. And my, my husband said I look like a ghost because I have this big white robe on <laughs> And I'm running full hilt just around the house trying to find where the emergency is. And there wasn't one, but he's like, you got to stop and, and, and assess the situation before you rush in. Because I mean, I've, I've, I've come upon people trying to steal my bike. And the first thing I do is just run towards them like a screaming hyena, you know, and I just like, ah, you know, go, go. Well, and that go might actually forward. work in certain circumstances. That but might work then. <laughs> I, I knew who it was and they knew who I was. And so after that, uh-huh. I, I watched them, but, but it was just like, like slow down, take a breath, see where you're at. Don't, don't, don't jump in. Um, you know, because there is a certain thought, feeling, thinking that has to go on before we, we jump. And mm. sometimes I have a tendency to just jump. So I have right. to slow down. <laughs> I think we're trained to jump. I mean, we even are. when I'm dealing with my kids, like I say something I, like, we don't have time. You're going to be late for school. Just do it. Like, I think that we, for better and for worse, are very much in our society trained to jump, to run to action. And then when we can't, when we get stuck because we're not clear enough or when we get stuck because we're in resistance to something, we so focus on needing to take action that we don't really evaluate why it is that action has been so hard for us to take. Well, plus we live in the times Mm -hmm. of of demanding instant gratification. And when Mm -hmm. you're in an instant gratification society, you're looking for everything to happen quick. Everything's uh, come on, let's go right. right here, right here. And when it doesn't happen, that's when we freak out. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many times, like, I, it's so funny. Like I go to the doctor and it's like, what do you mean? I need to wait for 48 hours to get my test result. Like, <laughs> right. 48 hours. Who's got that kind of time? <laughs> Who does it? Like, why can't you just go to this to me right now? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things like that though. We've really, we, we are not a patient people anymore. <laughs> But that's all the more reason to be mindful to take that time right. to focus on the now because it, it, yeah. it, it's actually a cool skill. It, it, it ties in beautifully with what uh, Janine and I are working on in the Taya boot camp um, because there's a lot of journaling for one thing, mm. uh, tying into what you're talking about, and there's also meditation. Still working on that part. Still working on that part. Yeah. Journaling. I'm now yeah. convinced you you need to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know. <laughs> it's. It's, I, I, I let myself off the hook and I, I journal when I'm really inspired because if I don't, it's just like trying to, to get a, a, a ungreased wheel to move. And it's just, it's, it, it, there's no, it wastes time to try to do something you, you just don't even, mm-hmm. you're not feeling connected to. So when I feel connected to it, oh boy, can I write? That's I can just great. write. But when I, when I'm not, mm, you know, I suppose it's a good thing that I'm ma- making my living as a writer because I <laughs> be like month two not being able to write. Um, but no, it's it's okay. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say sometimes when I'm trying to noodle on a journaling prompt, like I don't know about this class, but I'm assuming you're getting prompts, like reading the prompt and going and taking a walk. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. that really helps. Mm-hmm. Like, and even if you don't end up thinking about it, like something else, I, every time I walk, I have a new idea. <laughs> it's that low thought activity. It's that getting ourselves mm-hmm. involved in something that really takes our mind out of the situation that we're in and, and we can better focus. Yeah, that yeah. helps too, for sure. Low thought activity is just one of my favorites. Yeah. I drive a lot and work in the garden a lot. <laughs> Lots of voice memos to yourself. Yeah. Oh, I do. Oh my gosh. I started doing that. Walt, I mean, I I took it from you too when you were, you were saying that you were having a hard time writing and then I just started to just, you know, Hey Siri, take a note and you know, not right now, Siri. (laughs) My phone just came on. Um, and it, and it works. It really works. It does. Voice memos work. Dude, there are so many different ways of journaling. There's yep. just so many different ways of journaling. So mm-hmm. one of my one new favorite works. things is Otter because you can do a voice note and it will transcribe it and yes. put in the punctuation and everything. Really? I'm writing yeah. this down. This is an app or? Yeah, it's an app and it's a website. So I think it's called otter.ai. I think is mm-hmm. the URL. Otter.ai. Otter's been around for a few years and yeah. their, their, their technology has really grown. They've, they've really yeah. improved it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to look this up. Yeah, people like using that for transcribing podcasts, among other things. There's right. all kinds yeah, of things you can cool. do with it. Yeah. It's interesting too that um the the pra- not the practice, the process you were describing, Becca, about how um how to kind of look at at the the pluses of an idea while you're still trying to kind of acclimatize yourself to it. And then do so in a way that's non-judgmental and so forth. It, it, the way you were describing it is very much like a word that we use in the Thai boot camp. It's like you're learning to release. You're releasing mm. the anxiety. You're releasing all the stress. You're releasing all the negative thoughts. You're release, 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 release. You're just expressing it differently. It's the same thing, but you're expressing right. it differently. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you can't really release it if you're really trying to avoid, like, if you're trying to avoid acknowledging that you have it in the first place, it's really hard to then let it go. Yeah, which is what the, the big advantage and the value of the writing part, because now you're you're actually sitting down to express it, to right. get it out and put it on paper or on screen or whatever form of writing that you do. Yeah, uh, because that process just it, there's something magical about that process. I'm not yeah. sure exactly what it is. I I guess from a, a LOA spiritual point of view, I'd say that it's connecting to source, connecting to your inner being, but whatever mm-hmm. you, whatever it is, it works. I think it's also committing. Like you're just, you're mm-hmm. actually committing to yourself, um, to doing it and to actually like focusing and, and not, you know, I, I, my phone is actually a little too far for me to reach. I wanted to like pick it up. Cause like, it's like how often the second we have a free moment, that we pick up our phone pick and phone. fill that <laughs> moment instead of letting us letting mm. ourselves sit and think, mm. fill it with the phone. Um, mm-hmm. I think that especially now it's just so easy to fill up all of our time if we wanted to. That the writing gives us something physical. I I know. Well, I don't, actually you're... don't know whether this is true, but okay. I do remember when I like years ago someone was trying to stop smoking and they started playing with a pen and someone had told them to do that because they were so used to just always Mm -hmm. having something in their hand. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing. If we're so used to having something physically in our hand all the time, 
then having a pen in our hand and writing actually can help focus. Okay. Yeah, that makes some sense. I can see how that would work. Uh, isn't it also the idea that as we, as we take the time out, as we get into that I'm in the now mode, that mm -hmm. mindfulness mode, as it's often called these days, um, it's almost like we're giving ourselves a timeout. Right. It's almost like we're saying, you deserve a break right now. Right. You know, like the old, the old Burger King, you, des you deserve a break today. Well, take it right now. You don't have to wait for later on today and do it right now and just yeah. take that well, break. And I deserve to reconnect with myself. Yeah. Yeah. And in the process, guess what? We start to actually believe in our own ideas. We start to believe in our own ability to accomplish. We start to believe in our own manifestations. We start to believe in all of it just because we've taken the time to focus on yeah. us. Exactly. Pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> So, okay, so we're, uh, I'm going to throw your own um, exercise at you, right? Because okay. you talk about how um, you want to help people to figure out what they're going to do over the next three or five years. Where's Becca going to be in the next three to five years? Mm -hmm. mm. Well, I'm taking it a little bit, in a little bit smaller of a chunk. I am really hoping this next book does not take me three to five years to finish. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> that's a good start. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, it, took, it took me about four years to actually publish the Clarity Journal. Mm -hmm. So I am really hoping, I mean, if it's out in three to five years, great. I'll still have it out. But sure. I'm hoping it'll all take me less than a year. Um, my next book I, that I'm working on is called Mindful Procrastination. And as a lot <laughs> Ooh, of- Oh, I like that one. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> um. And I really, I just love the idea of really both like being mindful and being self-compassionate. Like mm -hmm. it's okay if you're procrastinating right now. It's okay if you are finding yourself a little bit stuck. Mm -hmm. The more that you can handle that internally with the compassion and with the non-judgment, the much better off you'll be. Yeah, I mean, basically, you're going after something that's probably probably the number one thing that people engage in that undermines themselves, and that's beating themselves up. Right. In this case, over procrastination. But I mean, we can beat. We're really good at beating ourselves up. We can beat I, ourselves up. I can up find other things. Don't worry. Yeah, I got a whole list here. Let's go for it. But mm -hmm. uh, procrastination is certainly near the top of that list. And and beating yourself about up about that has a really interesting effect. It makes you procrastinate more. Right. I was going to say it's like a it's like a, a negative self feeding loop. Exactly. Yeah. And once you, once you're in it, it's just so hard to get out of it. And that's when it's we hard. take our walk or take our drive or try to journal a little bit or something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. really hard to get ourselves out of it. And it's also like the very thing that society keeps telling us all we need to do is use willpower. Just do it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we have that on a, almost on a loop here. And it's the very thing that if you haven't given yourself the space, it's going to be really hard and you're going to just keep depleting yourself and you're going to keep talking bad about yourself. Cause if you can't just willpower through it, then that gives you yet another thing to be like, Oh, well, why can't I do this? So let's try to, to come at it from the other direction. We've been talking about, here's all the reasons why we can't do it. What can we do? How can we get to the point where we're okay with it and we're moving on and we're moving forward? I think that it naturally comes like the more mm -hmm. you're aware of something, the easier it is to move through it. 
when I say that, I always like to add a caveat that if you've experienced true trauma, if you're in the throes of PTSD, if you're like, if there's a diagnosable problem right now that you're having, you probably would be better off just getting help for that to begin Mm -hmm. with, because you're just going to run up against it in so many annoying, weird ways that you just, that it becomes exhausting trying to be mindful about it all. So so if you're really struggling, then I highly recommend actually just going to therapy and really getting to the bottom of some of the root stuff that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But for the, for the rest of us, you know, for people who are just like exhaust post pandemic exhausted, as opposed to <laughs> like post pandemic, like really anxious and depressed, like, just start noticing yourself. And like my favorite thing to start with is to start naming the, the doubts, start naming your patterns for where you're talking bad about yourself. Maybe make them a little silly. Um, you know, name it like Hilga or, (laughs) Oh, my Hilga is coming back again. Right. Or my, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, you know, like there's Karen. Yeah. Got my inner Karen. (laughs) You know, David Strickles suggests the same thing too, that, that we name our, 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 our self limiting, you know, that, that. What do you call his Claude? Was that what it was? Claude. He has his Claude Claude voice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So. Yeah. I kind of like, I feel like I have an inner Karen sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just like, like, you know what? Like it's it's not helping and you're not going to be able to. Like to move through and attract the things you want to attract. If you're still stuck in struggling with them, like being in a death match with your inner critic. Mm-hmm. Right. That that death match will, will win too. <laughs> if you, you stay with it. Yeah. <laughs> the self-limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but they're they're there. They were, they were, they got started. We got started on learning those self-limiting beliefs really young. Like, right. it, it takes a while to be able to treat them with humor. And I mm-hmm. think that the more you can treat them with humor, the quicker sure. they go away. I agree too. Yeah. That, that's a big part of this practice that we, we, we mm-hmm. are involved in this tie practice is, is finding those, we call them transgressors, finding mm-hmm. those past transgressors and, the, the terminology we use is detune the transgressors so they aren't creating that vibration anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and it is an amazing process because when you do successfully detune them, it's almost like they just kind of disappear. Like, where did that one go? That used to right. be really haunting me and now it's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very powerful thing when that happens. So, okay. Um, I, I, I love the way you kind of, you know, avoided my question. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the question was. Oh, five years? I don't know. I, <laughs> I would, I guess, because the thing I'm so focused on right now is writing and finishing up this book. That Which I'm is like, good. I don't, I am not actually sure of my five year plan. I guess probably to write another couple books. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I don't, <laughs> but <sighs> I think that my biggest goal is to, help people really be more comfortable with themselves, Mm -hmm. like be able to sit in this messiness 
and see it as just human messiness as opposed to something that they should feel bad about or something that they should beat themselves up about or so because I think that sometimes at the very beginning you asked me who I work with mm-hmm. and I work with people on a whole like huge range of ages. Mm-hmm. Like, I work with people that are in their twenties. I work with people that are in their sixties. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's the hardest is when I get a client who's in their sixties and we're working purely on career stuff and they just have put themselves last, like they, for various reasons, family or whatnot, they really just Oh, there was always going to be another time at which it would be easier to do what they kept thinking they were going to do. And then they get into their late fifties, early sixties, and then they feel like they're out of time. And it's like, well, you're not out of time, first of all, Mm -hmm. but also if you're always putting everyone else first and making, and I don't want to say making excuses, but like, always allowing the circumstances to dictate what you are doing, Mm. then you're in control of your life. And it really does end up being sad for your future self because eventually you're going to have to do it. And it actually, even though if you, even if you have kids, even if things are chaotic right now, it is actually harder to do it. Like when you're older, because then you feel like you don't have enough time. And so my goal is to help people, if they didn't start it yesterday to go ahead and start it today. Okay. So we have a good idea of what you're going to be doing three to five years from now. Of course, the other side of it is, I, I don't remember who said this originally. I know this is another entire um, thing, but we're, we're not human doings we're human beings. So where do you want to be five years from now? <sighs> well, I'm living in Seattle right now and I love Seattle, but it just started raining. So at this very oh. moment, five years, <laughs> like to be on the beach in Bali. Ah, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> I love that question and it's making me really like you know the good questions make you stop and like huh. they do. They make you reevaluate and kind of take a, a gut check. Okay, what's really going on with me right now? In 5 years I'll have a 17-year-old and a 12-year-old. Ah. And what does that look like? Mm. It changes up life. It's, it does it's change. Some, I yeah. feel like mm-hmm. I actually don't know that I could imagine that quite yet. It's starting to become more and more clear, but I think what I really want to make sure of for myself is that I set myself up well enough that these ebbs and flows don't knock me off too far. Because I really, and I see this a lot with a lot of people, you know, we've talked about the pandemic and a lot of people ended up feeling like they had to start over, uh, Mm -hmm. like not necessarily with their career, but just in so many different ways. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people who have had very serious marital problems because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you went from seeing your husband on weekends and like maybe two hours a night to, all day long all day long (laughs) (laughs) you know with the kids all day long yes and and i think that that's i mean it's not the point of all of this is to just set yourself up so that you can both be your best self but also get back to yourself best self as quickly as possible when life 
gets a little bit in the way. Well, plus also the pandemic has been, it's been an opportunity and a challenge at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. There have been yeah. definite winners and losers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, look, look at the things that we've been able to win out of it. Um, right. and, and there's lots of them. There is the challenge of being with somebody that frequently when you're used to being with them less frequently, but there's also the joy of it, depending on how you just decide to go about doing it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're not at work. You're not in the office anymore, but you're working from home. And all of a sudden people are discovering the joys of working from home. Right. And, I mean, and, I get... and a lot of them are in, in rebellion. Like, I'm not going back to the office anymore. You know, I'll get a I new just... job if I have to. I get clients over and over again. Okay, so how do I find a job that I know I'll never have to go back into the office right. again? So exactly. that's a lot of clarity for, for a lot of people, and yeah. it, especially for those in um, positions where they never really thought that they had options. Mm. And and now I'm seeing uh, that 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 the the fear of change is is abating in a lot of people. And so I, the pandemic for me, which is hilarious. The other day, my husband said. That, wasn't that pandemic so cool? We got to spend all this time together. I'm like, you are nuts. <laughs> I mean, but no, but I, I really see like the, the, there were so many positives, um, right. you know, in, in it. And, um, and of course, if somebody's laid off, they're not going to see that. Um, no. but, uh, for some people, even those who were laid off, it's like, Hey, that was an excuse to go on and do something else. And right. so a lot of people have said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll, it's also been, like a really interesting job market, you know, oh, yeah. people who weren't happy in their jobs now right. have options they didn't have before. And I think that we're just in a cycle of more chaos than I think we've had in this generation in a long time. Mm-hmm. And that chaos actually in a lot of ways has been extraordinarily positive. I think I'm, so. I'm with you. And yeah. there's also been like, negative chaos as well. And I think mm-hmm. that it, yeah. it is kind right. of what you make of it. I mean, it is yes. at a very real level. It is like where your energy is moving forward. I think it's going to really help define where you're going. And it's where your attention is going to be. Right. If, you, if you're going to give your attention to the, the negative side of things, you're going to get mm-hmm. more of that. If you're going to give your right. attention to the positive side of things, you're going to get more of that. So right. where are you going to right. put your attention really? Yeah. Right. It's nice to have those kinds of choices. And and you're right, it has been chaotic. But chaos is sometimes a good thing. We we, right. we tend to associate mm-hmm. chaos as being something negative, but it's actually when it's kinda of like the whole thing got, you know, shaken up. Okay, let's see what the new rules of the game are now. Yeah. I No, I just can't wait to see what this this the things that how our, our commerce changes or how our society changes. Oh, I mean even day. the Right. Even the simplest thing like uh, going to a store and, and checking out and paying for mm-hmm. something and then they give you an option of leaving a tip. It's like I you would never <laughs> think of leaving, you know, before it's like leaving a tip mm-hmm. and, and it's like, wow, OK, that's a different way of seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, the, I think the pandemic is causing a lot of change. And I, I yeah. think it's we should we should be thankful of the change like we needed it. And we're seeing a lot of it. It's happening mm-hmm. already. 
I mean, we, mm-hmm. it gets, if, if you look at it through the lens of the news, it always is a negative, but I don't look at it through their lens. I look at it through other lenses. And mm-hmm. so, for instance, we have like this job market that's completely shaken up. People who used to do like restaurant work, they, they aren't choosing mm-hmm. to do restaurant. They're saying, I'm tired of getting paid like that. I want to get paid to do something. Cool. And all of a sudden the restaurants are having to adjust. Oh my God, we don't have enough laborers. Well, right. that's probably a good thing because now they're shaking up the restaurant industry to be something that, yeah, there's going to be a shakeout. There's going to be some that go under, but there are others that are going to get stronger. Others right. are going to have actually more successful operations. And yeah, there, there probably is going to be an overall increase in the cost of going to a restaurant. But you know what? That's probably a good thing because that just basically means that the whole industry is going to make itself a better industry. And it's just restaurants. Yeah. Now, there, there are yeah. a whole bunch of industries that have similar kinds of stories going on. Similar one. Yeah. I, I'm just dealing with this one right now. We, we have a car that was in the shop. Thankfully, it turned out there was nothing wrong with it. So that was a good piece of news. But we were mm-hmm. out car shopping. And anybody who knows about what's going on in the, in the car market, in the new car market, there, uh, because of the pandemic, computer chips thing. weren't being, they weren't being made in, yeah. in the same quantities anymore. So there weren't enough chips to make the cars. So the new dealer, the new car dealers are taking used cars and putting them out in the lot instead. And that means that there's a uh, fewer inventory for the used car dealers. And all of a sudden the, um, the rental cars, they, they mm-hmm. actually sold off all the cars That's when right. the pandemic hit. Now, all of a sudden, they have to start building up their fleets again. So now there's this shortage of cars all over the place. The price has gone up. Oh, my God. Chaos. Crazy. All this terrible right. stuff going on. And yet it's going to lead to some amazing stuff. It's going to lead to amazing differences. The real estate market. There's another one. You know, right. All terrible things. Oh, my God. The market's out of control. You know, you can't afford a house anymore. But it's going to lead to other stuff. All this right. stuff is leading to other stuff. Right. That's when yeah. That's when we appreciate our transgressors. We We appreciate these things that that shake us up or change our world or, or have us question things in a different way, because it's just going to lead us to the next thing, which is going to lead us to the next thing, which is going to lead us to the next thing. And it's never ending. So instead of demonizing these things, we really need to sort of embrace them and see them for, for what they are. Beck, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you back a question. Cause this is a question that I've always gotten the same answer. I'm curious to know if you're going to keep <laughs> the answer flow, the train going. I think you're probably going to say yes on this one. But, um, one of the things that I have noticed, particularly with therapists and life coaches and such who have been on the program is they all have a story that they told about some traumatic event that happened in their lives mm-hmm. that was life changing. And that life-changing traumatic event, it's something they would never want to go through again, but it's the one thing that they look back on and say, boy, did I get the most out of that compared to anything else that ever happened in my life. That taught me so much or that helped me to become stronger or that helped me to, to launch into something new. I'm totally honest. I mean, it's, it's, it's some kind of a, a, of a major down event that turned into a springboard for, for major up events. And I'm curious to know if that's also been true for you. I'm trying to think about that because I don't, I have definitely had trauma in my life. I feel like the springboard in my life has been more about connection than it's been about trauma. Mm. And so I would say that every time I've had a springboard, it's because I've connected with someone or someone's said something that shifted how I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And like a good example of this is I feel like people sometimes will ask me like, why did you become a career coach? And I'll tell them that the story about how I figured out I was going to be a career coach. But I feel like that story actually starts earlier. I have mm-hmm. a very, very vivid memory of my grandfather picking me up from a friend's house one summer. 
And he picked me up in his beat up car. He was near retirement age, but he wasn't retired. And my grandfather had been a bricklayer. And then I'm actually sure what he did. I know he still was in the bricklayers union, but like manager of some sort. Mm -hmm. And I remember him just going on and on about how much he hated his job. And I remember asking him why he stayed in it if he hated it. And the standard answer from someone born in the 40s or I guess 30s was, uh, what do you mean? Like, I stay in it because it's my job. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Career for life. Exactly. That's what I do. And that's what I do. And I feel like (laughs) so many of the pivotal moments in my life are more like that. Mm -hmm. And so observing other people's trauma or observing Mm -hmm. like other people like like think uh, observing things in other people's lives that I didn't like and not like a judgment about them exactly, but like defining for me and myself what I wanted. And when we were talking about the pandemic and the creative chaos, like one of the things that I think is going to be so good going forward is I feel like the U S has become so fixated on productivity, so fixated on wringing out every last drop from every employee. And that's no longer acceptable. Like people Mm -hmm. are no longer going to accept that people are putting their own happiness Mm -hmm. above the man (laughs) or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's so positive Mm -hmm. because we like it because because before the pandemic it really was a big deal trying to help people find jobs where they wouldn't be taken advantage of where they would actually get to leave work at 5 five thirty, you know and not have to work all night like, i don't think we're there yet in every industry certainly but we've all of a sudden started feeling like we can have boundaries with our work and our happiness Mm -hmm. does have value. And I think that's really wonderful and hopefully it continues. I mean, I can Mm -hmm. only knock on wood or whatever, but we just continue down that path. And because there is no point to making a lot of money if you're working 60 hours a week and you aren't actually getting to enjoy life. That's exactly mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And I think it is, you're right. We are in a transition period. I don't think it's a transition that's going to stop, at least not right. stop in the sense of reverting back to where it was. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. I don't see any way that that could happen. Right. Uh, we've, we've, we've crossed the Rubicon. We have actually gone past the point of no return with that, I believe. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I agree with you. I think that's an excellent thing. I, I, I love the fact that what we're really describing there is people, even without coaching, even without uh, any kind of mindfulness or consciousness about what's going on or whatever, they're finding their way back to enjoying life. Right. They're just doing it on their own. Or recognizing yeah. that they deserve the space to do their hobbies. They yeah. deserve, like, that. yeah. Even if they haven't I mean, figured out how to enjoy life yet, they know they need to. <laughs> the impetus is there. Right. The impetus is definitely, and, and certainly we can point to the pandemic and to being in lockdown and all that kind of stuff. That's where that kind of idea was born. It was born. Right. And right now I am feeling tied down to this little space that I'm in and I'm being forced in this and I don't like that. And I mm-hmm. want something to change and something changed. 
you know, getting back, Becca, to the, what, what, what you were saying about, um, learning from others or seeing what others are going through. And there's a quote, I think it's Sam Leviston. I'm not sure, but it, it's like, I, I, I have to learn from the mistake of others because I can't live long enough to make all the mistakes on my own. <laughs> something like that, the, something like that. Because it's, it's so true. It's like you, you see, well, I don't want to be like that. Somebody acts a certain way. Well, I don't want to be like that. And, and that's how we learn, right? We, well, that doesn't, I wouldn't respond like that or, oh, I like the way they said that. And I, I, I could see as a, as a child, you know, my, my grandfather and the same, you know, how he was very prejudiced. Well, I don't want to be like that. Um, and, and so we just sort of define our preferences as we go along. And I, and I see that that's what you were doing with, with like your, was it your well, father, you your grandfather? Okay. Yeah, my grandfather. You can also do it on mm. the flip side. My favorite question in the Clarity Journal is, who do you envy and what does it tell you about yourself? Mm. And Interesting. I, yeah, and I think so often we think of envy, envy as a negative emotion, but it's actually a positive emotion as long as you don't go too far down the dark rabbit hole. Like if mm. you actually just notice who it is you admire, who it is that you would like to emulate, and and you're able to take the lessons of that because we don't envy everyone. If you're a writer, you don't envy every single writer. You envy a very specific writer mm-hmm. or maybe two. And it's because they have an interesting lifestyle and like you like what they're writing. There's a style you like. Mm-hmm. It's not just because they have a lot of money or if it's because they have a lot of money, it's because they have like a ton of money. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that, that, everyone like mm-hmm. sometimes people's internal motivator really is that they want to play the game of getting as most the most wealth well mm-hmm. then they're not envious of the people that got like you know a million dollars they're envious of the people that you know they're envious of like jk rowlings who i what she's made like a billion dollars she's, she's a billionaire yeah mm-hmm. right so i think that like who we envy really does tell us a lot about like what our subconscious wants and if we allow ourselves to learn from that and also see them as a, instead of someone to like envy in a negative sense, but mm-hmm. more take it and make it into a positive thing. This is a roadmap. This person did it before me. I don't have to do exactly what they did, but I can take these lessons and see what they did mm-hmm. and see how I can make it my own. This has been very cool. As usual, the hour flies by and, and we don't have nearly enough time to ask all the questions we'd like to ask. But we appreciate the fact that we've been able to ask the questions we did get in there. And before we go, we want you to uh, take a moment to let people know, particularly those who might be interested in reaching out and learning more, how do they yes, find please. Becca Ribbing? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, BeccaRibbing.com is my website. So that's B-E-C-C-A Ribbing, R-I-B-B-I-N-G. And you can find the Clarity Journal at, on Amazon. Very good. All right. I'm going to so, read that. I'm going to read that. Oh, I, I hope you like it. it. Thank you. <laughs> you have a fan already. Have you a haven't fan. even, Yay. it hasn't even been published yet. The podcast listeners haven't even heard it yet. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> good, Thank you guys. Really this has been oh, really fun. Thank you for being on the, sh- on the show. Thank you for fun. reaching Thank out. You. Yes. Yeah. It has been fun. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for uh, picking a date and joining us and sharing your unique perspective. It's been really, really interesting to hear. So we wish you the best of luck, Lom, and and we certainly are going to be interested to find out what you end up, you know, actually focusing on five years from now in Valley. I, I will mean, definitely you know. come back. Like, this is what I've done for the last five years. All right. So cool stuff. 
All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, especially to our podcast listeners everywhere. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.